Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to, to speak um, about SB 151. I'm Andrea Kaminsky, Legislative uh, Coordinator for the League of Women Voters of Wisconsin. The League of Women Voters opposes SB 151 based on our long-held position supporting equality and strong communities. Of the many unambiguous reasons to oppose this bill, three stand out. One, SB 151 assaults our traditional shared values of community. Two, the bill undermines public safety. And three, it'll damage our economy. So first, Wisconsin uh, political subdivisions wisely follow public policies to protect vulnerable members of their communities who have come here to invest in our society with dreams of a secure future for themselves and their families. Their ordinances, resolutions, and policies reflect the warm welcome of President George W. Bush in his 2001 inaugural address when he said, Quote, Americans are united across the generations by grand and enduring ideals. The grandest of these ideals is an unfold, unfolding promise that everyone belongs, that everyone deserves a chance, and that no insignificant person was ever born. Our country has never been united by blood or birth or soil. We are bound by principles that move us beyond our backgrounds, end quote. These are, ver ver these are values that our, our counties and, and municipalities embrace in their ordinances and policies that prevent the fusion of local law enforcement and ICE in, det in detaining undocumented community members. So secondly, this legislation would undermine public safety. It strains community relationships with local law enforcement and, and public health agencies. Examples are rife of how the increased fear of deportation forces many to avoid uh, reporting crimes. Domestic abuse uh, referrals decline, leaving victims at the hands of their abusers. Employees in unsafe working conditions are silenced from speaking up by the fear of deportation. And fear also prevents people from seeking medical care, threatening our public health. For example, we, we must not be dissuading people from obtaining flu shots and vaccinations out of fear of deportation. We're witnessing an unhealthy spiraling of racial intolerance in, in our state and in our country, even among our children in school. If you're committed to fairness and public safety, then this legislation must be rejected. Now, there's been a lot of talk about crime, both violent crime and identity theft. And this happens too often, far too often. It's heartbreaking. However, the crimes, these, this kind of crime is not limited to any group. And we should not be penalizing entire groups of people or jeopardizing the health and safety of our communities as a response. There are law enforcement officials who disagree that they need to cooperate with, with, with ICE um, in order to follow the law. 
And in fact, they say that this bill will make it harder for them to enforce the law. Finally, we currently have an extremely low unemployment rate, and there are many employers, particularly in farming and food, food processing, as well as other low-wage industries, who are finding it difficult to, to fill vacant uh, positions. Forcibly removing undocumented workers will compel whole families to depart, including those legally present and employed. This will result in lower tax collections, reduced Social Security payments, and Medicaid contributions, along with, uh, and along with causing major business disruptions. This legislation violates a public order built on fairness, safety, and a strong economy, and we urge you to reject SB 151. Thank you. What would you say to the families that have lost a loved one through murder because a person who should have been held on a detainer was let go? Well, as I said, this is, these stories are heartbreaking. They truly are. However, they're not limited to one group of people, the, the, these crimes. And therefore, um, we don't penalize whole groups of people or damage our communities as a result. Well, they're limited to the illegals that are incarcerated and get out, and, and so it's that group. The illegals that are criminals who get out of jail and go do it again. The crimes that you mention, I, may, that may be true. I mean, I, I haven't um, looked at any of them. However, similar crimes are, are perpetrated by other people, and, and so, we don't, we don't pass laws that are unfair because these things happen. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, but okay. Um, now, who's, I have to ask, who is they? In your testimony, you referred a number of times to they, 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 they. Sure. And someone, you said it makes it harder to, en they said it makes it harder to enforce laws. Oh. I guess I'd want to know who they are in case I wanted to contact them. Well, I'm referring to the law enforcement officials who oppose this law, who say that it is more difficult. Okay, I'm not aware of those law enforcement individuals. In fact, I've had great support from law enforcement okay. to pass this legislation. Are there questions from... Uh, Thank you for being here and testifying. And I guess I'm not understanding how we're selecting a group, because we're actually selecting and causing uh, their focus to be on an illegal alien that's a criminal. We're not focusing on any one person or any one size, shape, type, skin color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of a person. The, the factor here is that we are dealing with a criminal who is an illegal alien that does not belong or came here illegally and is not a citizen of this country. And so we're not focusing on somebody else, a group of specific people. We are focusing on individuals that have committed crimes, that have a history of it, that are violent crimes, that have been deported or have been in the process of deportation, maybe even multiple times. Uh, and those are the ones that are being focused on so that it doesn't become a place of sanctuary for this type of person. I can't 
I can't imagine anyone who would want this person living in their community, in their neighborhood next door to them. I know I sure wouldn't, wouldn't want that. You know, and so I, I don't understand when you say, when you talk about we're picking on one group, what do you mean by that? Okay. What I mean is that when you refer to, I mean, you just limited it yourself, Senator, to people who have committed crimes. That's what this, did you read the bill? That's what the bill does. Yeah. The bill limits it to those people that are criminal aliens. Mm -hmm. This is what this bill does, that it, it takes away the ability for a municipality, town, village, city, whatever, to say that they're not going to, they're going to make it a policy that they're not going to, they're not going to, uh, assist federal authorities with with protecting that community from thugs and murderers and rapists etc that have already been deemed convicted. to be convicted criminals I mean so I, how can you say that how can you support that well some policies regardless of how well-intentioned they are result in um, we have thousands of people killed from these, unintended these uh, racial disparities. We know that. And uh, if, if whoa, 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 they whoa, whoa. have to be... Hold it, hold it. Don't make this racial, because it's not. This okay. is This is all not... Right, I'll limit it. This is not a racial issue. This is a... I mean, you're making this a racial issue, and it's not. This is an issue about an individual that's a criminal. And I really get tired of it, uh, of this labeling that every person that's arrested is done because it's racially motivated, because that's not the case. Police officers don't arrest people who are burglars, burglarizing a, a, a business because they're of a specific race or color or they live in a different neighborhood. They do it because they're doing the burglary or that they just rape somebody. They take that criminal into custody. You know, I mean, that's how, how I made my arrests in my 30-year career and never lost an arrest. Well, again, I'll say that some policies, regardless of how well-intentioned they are, have unintended racial disparities. While they, they may be intended only to deal with criminals, they end up affecting larger groups. And in this case, they will, they, it, it would have, it would affect larger groups and it would affect certain racial groups. It also it affects all um, uh, immigrants and whether they're here, whether they're documented or not. And um, so what I, my point is that, uh, that a policy may be quite limited, but has these unintended, and I assume they're unintended, um, uh, effects that do, uh, that do affect different groups disparately. So the, so the individuals that this would be affecting would be not just the criminal alien that we're looking for, but you're talking about, you call them undocumented immigrants uh, that are here unlawfully, so they're illegal aliens, they're not immigrants. If they're an immigrant, they've immigrated here, like my parents did, my, my grandparents did. They immigrated through Ellis Island, went through the whole process. And so that's an immigrant. That's somebody who's coming here lawfully to be. They came here, they you know, got their, their documentation, they worked on that, and then sometimes those people overstay their, their documentation, and, you know, it's not, they don't issue those by color. They issue them to the individual. And there's all different types of people that come from all different countries around the world that overstay those that are here illegal, that commit crimes, that I hope will be deported. But these sanctuary cities would allow them to be there. And you know what? Those criminals affect everybody in that community in a negative way, everybody in that community. Because if you've got illegal criminals in your neighborhood, 
that affects everybody there. Because I walked in those neighborhoods in the inner city when I was a police officer, and they were happy to have the officers in that neighborhood. Those people came out and said, we can't believe that, that you're here. Actually, we can come out of our house. They were housebound because of the thugs, because they had taken over those neighborhoods. And so, you know, that's the effect that those few bad guys have on that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So if there's an unintended consequence because of somebody else who's illegally here as an illegal alien, but not a criminal, then they need to work to get that fixed. Well, I'll just, re I'll just right? stand by my statement that, and, and by the league's statement, that there are often unintended consequences that go far beyond. And I don't disagree with that. And those, and those affect our communities. So. Senator Wirtgen. Well, you know, we hear these pious lectures on law and order, but the fact is the majority party has passed budgets that have forced local governments to lay off police officers. 60 to 70 in Milwaukee have to be laid off because of budget restraints passed by the majority. In Kenosha, they're looking at it. I mean, you've tightened uh, the money that's gone to local government, and now you want them to do more with ICE when they have trouble doing their basic functions. And you know that. Well, I'm not going to argue, but I'm going to tell you oh, this. I, I can Let's my talk job, about My cities. job as a police officer is to protect the community. Not just say this this person should be released because they are a criminal, an alien criminal that should be deported. So they're here unlawfully, illegally, they're a felon. So that's still my job, Bob. Yeah. Do you understand that yeah. that's protecting the community? And but I'll you've given there. less money I to local less money to local government to take care of public safety, and they've had to lay people off. And then you want them to do more. Well, I will find out the cost of the trolley which is a flop and a failure, and divide the cost of a police officer into that and see how many officers could have been put on the street. Just for the maintenance of it. We have a trolley in Kenosha, too. It's paid for by federal funds. Thank well, you. you mentioned Milwaukee. Well, yeah, and a federal yeah. handout. Yep. Um, thank you for your testimony. Thank you. Uh, Representative Zamparipa from Milwaukee speaking against. Mr. Chair, committee members, I'm State Representative Jocasta Samaripa, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to testify today before the committee regarding SB 151 and my opposition to SB 151. Violent crime, no matter the immigration status of the perpetrator, is appalling and should not be tolerated. Combating crime takes a true community effort Crime victims, their families, friends, and neighbors should be encouraged to contact and fully cooperate with law enforcement to help them apprehend suspected criminals. In immigrant communities, honest, hardworking men and women are the very first people who want any criminal element removed from their neighborhoods. This bill will create a culture of fear for Latinos and immigrants living in Wisconsin. Victims and family members, neighbors and friends who are undocumented will hesitate to report criminal activity or provide witness statements if they believe there's a chance that they themselves may be deported. And you spoke to this, Senator Nass, just moments ago when you were speaking to some of the supporters of the bill. You talked about, I think you said, quote, law-abiding illegals. You talked about how they themselves can be victimized. Exactly my point as well. 
Even victims who are, here who are here legally but have undocumented friends and families could be afraid of putting their loved ones at risk and won't make that call to law enforcement with a bill like this in place. We are talking about people who have likely built lives here. They work hard. They earn a paycheck. They have children who are likely U.S. citizens and are attending our schools here in Wisconsin. When so much is on the line, we need to make sure that they feel safe working with police so that we are all safe, citizen, U.S. citizens, residents, or undocumented immigrant. If the true goal is to promote cooperation with law enforcement and ask undocumented people to step forward to get dangerous criminals off of our streets, this bill will have the opposite effect. This bill is an overreach by the state over cities, towns, and villages who value their relationship between the community and law enforcement. We should focus on solutions that support law enforcement and build safer communities for all Wisconsinites. This is not that bill. And I want to remind you that under Republican Governor Scott Walker, this bill failed, died, never became law. And you guys had the majority in both houses, and you had the, governor, the executive branch with Governor Walker. He didn't sign it into law. And it won't go anywhere under today's governor, Tony Evers. And if I can just address a couple of comments that, that were made. You asked about law enforcement that is also in opposition to this bill because it'll be detrimental to the public safety of Wisconsinites, all Wisconsinites. Chief Wall was just here, Police Chief Wall from Madison. He was going to testify in opposition to this bill and let you know why it's detrimental to the public safety of all. But he could only stay for so long. I'm sure you just saw him leave. But he was here, he spoke this morning at a press conference, and you can certainly reach out to him. But that's Chief Victor Wall. So there is law enforcement, absolutely. I know in Milwaukee, we are not a sanctuary city, which I believe you said Milwaukee is a sanctuary city. We are not, but we have policies in place that encourage cooperation between our immigrant communities and law enforcement. Chief Morales supports that, Mayor Barrett supports that. These are good things that provide increased public safety for all in Milwaukee, whether they are fifth-generation U.S. citizens or first-generation immigrants. You know, I'm disheartened to hear Senator Weingart say that this is focusing, this bill is focusing on the illegal alien who is a criminal. That's the only one being focused on. Untrue. This bill punishes entire communities. You're penalizing local governments because if you or some constituent, like the first woman who testified in support, report that local government, they could be penalized on the daily, daily penalties, punishing the taxpayers of Wisconsin, punishing local governments. So you're not, there's no targeting of illegal alien criminals in this bill. You're punishing entire local governments, entire communities. And with that, I'll take any questions. Um, yeah, there is law enforcement that does support it. We have a number of them here in Badger Sheriff's for information. Um, so uh, there are, I don't want to leave the impression that law enforcement totally is against it. And Chief Wall, I'm sure, is taking marching orders from uh, the city of Madison, probably the Police and Fire Commission, the mayor, and so forth. So uh, I, would ex I would expect he would be uh, opposed to this. Um, you want everyone to work with law enforcement, but it stops at the door of having the police work with ICE. So why, why is that when you have a dangerous person coming out of jail? Milwaukee has policies in place that encourage cooperation between our immigrant communities and law enforcement. 
That way we have an, an immigrant who's not afraid to pick up the phone and report a crime that they know or witness being committed or they've heard that is being committed. We want them to call, we want them to feel that they can pick up the phone and call the police. We don't want them to sit on it and say nothing and let this crime continue to evolve and multiply or get worse. That's why these things are important. That's why these policies are in place. And that's why folks like Chief Victor Wall sees how detrimental this could be to our public safety and how much it diminishes, how much your bill diminishes the public safety of all Wisconsinites. Well, the, but the cooperation ends when it is, a, you, so the law enforcement has someone incarcerated that's a, a bad person. And they're not supposed to cooperate with ICE to keep that person off the street. Well, I don't understand why the cooperation has to I end at that door. I think that you're confused or looking at it from a very simplistic point of view. No. This mean, th these policies that are in place are, doesn't mean that uh, an undocumented immigrant gets to do whatever they want willy-nilly without being fully you know, persecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Absolutely not. If somebody commits a crime, I just said it in my toast testimony, Senator Nass. Okay, I'll clarify. If somebody commits mm -hmm. a crime, they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Absolutely. And that would happen in Milwaukee, which you deem to be a sanctuary city. They would be persecuted to the fullest extent of the law if they committed a crime. So, so then... Your bill goes after that good, what you called, quote, what is you, a law-abiding illegal? Your bill goes after them. They're trying to live, they're trying to do as well as they possibly can. They're trying to work hard, allow their child to go, take their child to school, plug money into this state's economy. Your, your bill goes after that immigrant who's trying to do the best that they can in this community, who wants to reach out and report that crime. That's what this bill targets. That's why you diminish your own public safety and mine and everybody up there on that committee. So what you're saying then, like if a person is incarcerated in Milwaukee County and ICE sends out a detainer that they want that person, you're saying the chief will cooperate and turn that person over to ICE when they come out, whether they're a murderer or a rapist or whatever? I don't know what you're speaking to, but you're not speaking to your bill. Yeah, I your am. bill penalizes local governments with a daily penalty if they are found or deemed to have a sanctuary city ordinance in place or a policy that, that you deem to be sanctuary. That is what your bill does. No, it's, what you're speaking no, to is not, has nothing to do with your bill. That's the truth. It's if I they, sat here and studied this bill. That's what your bill does. That's why I say your bill is punishing entire communities in the state. Entire communities, because you're penalizing it, local uh, government with a daily well, penalty. Well, you need to re-examine the bill because that is not is that what the, not what it does. That is not what the bill does. The bill basically says that if you are a sanctuary city, that's one thing. But if you do not cooperate with ICE, that is where the penalties come in. The bill does not. The bill doesn't penalize with a daily penalty local governments found to have a sanctuary city ordinance. Don't or cooperate with ICE. Then it's a daily penalty, correct? If you don't cooperate we with can, ICE. I mean, have Ledge Council answer the question. Is if, it a daily penalty to, legal, to local government if they're found don't to Don't cooperate with ICE. Yes, it is, if you don't cooperate with ICE. So you're telling me that the chief, if he has someone incarcerated and ICE puts a detainer on that person, the chief in Milwaukee is going to hold that person and turn him over to ICE? That's what you're saying. Is that right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm speaking to the bill. I don't believe that you're speaking to the bill. 
This bill penalizes local governments if they are found to, ha to ha be a sanctuary city or have any sanctuary city-like policy in place. Is that correct? No. Again, it is if you do not abide by the law. So if you, if you get it on the books and you're not complying with the law, the attorney general or any uh, individual can force that compliance, and then the fines will start to kick in if you're found to not be in compliance. Um, as far as legislation and whether Walker uh, didn't sign this bill, That's I'll right. keep track of legislation that you have. And that implies that if it doesn't get through the legislature and signed into law, then next session we should not even bother with it because no, it didn't, I, didn't make it. Go so. ahead. I, obviously, you're still pushing. You're, you're passionate about passing this anti-immigrant effort. You want to try to get it passed. You didn't get it passed when you had both majorities in both houses and the governor's office, and you're not going to get it passed this session when you don't have the executive branch because Governor Tony Evers will not sign this bill into law, just like Governor Scott Walker didn't sign this bill into law. Well, Scott Walker, there were a number of bills, and I won't delay the hearing, but there were a number of bills he didn't sign uh, and bills that have had come back. I've been here a long time. That came back a second, a third, even a fourth time, and then he signed it. Because that's that's part of the process, not always, but it is part of the process, and we'll probably see that this time too. Bills that have been worked on for several sessions that get signed into law. Um, so just because it doesn't get through out of the gate the first time doesn't mean it's a bad bill. Are this there questions? bill is detrimental to people's to people's public safety, and I will continue to rail against this bill. Okay. And I hope that your constituents will call you to say, "Hey, keep me safe." Do not pass SB 151. They want to be safe. That's why they want my bill passed. No. My they want to be safe. That's why they oppose SB 151. Not true. In my district, no problem. Senator Weingard. Well, first of all, I, see, I think it's interesting that you're speaking for the governor's office what they're going to do or not do because this hearing isn't even completed yet, number one. Number two is that this bill focuses on the criminal aspect of illegal aliens. I know this affects or in the minds of the individuals that are here illegally, that are illegal aliens, that are here that crossed over and came from wherever they came from and have been here for a period of time and have been working here as an illegal alien, they're concerned that they might get into a situation where they're gonna get drawn up into this and be deported. I get that too. So rather than focusing on not having us take criminals out, I don't understand why we're not focusing on helping those individuals get their paperwork in place so they can get in line and make that transition from having that fear. Just because we create and we want to follow a law that puts pressure on that individual that's here illegally, and that's the thing, they're afraid because they're here illegally, just like the person that drives a motor vehicle after revocation. They're fearful the police are going to get them and they're going to go sit in jail. Well, the law says you drive that way as somebody who's revoked, you're going to go to jail if you do. And that's part of that process and part of that fear. So the fact that we're, we're putting something into a statute that focuses on allowing us to follow federal law and to, to allow law enforcement to follow their oath to keep these communities safe, I totally disagree that taking criminal aliens out of any community is safety. And you talk to the people in, in my neighborhood, they don't want those individuals in, a, in my neighborhood that are, no matter who they are, that's a criminal. Whether it's a criminal alien or it's somebody else doing drugs or, or whatever, they don't want them in my neighborhood either. And my neighborhood is not just all white people. 
We have Asian, we have Hispanic, we have uh, uh, black, we have even some, some Danes because we're in the Danish part of the city. So that being Senator said, Wangard, it's not course. a racial issue. Let him finish. People of color it's want to finish. Let him finish. I'm, all I'm, I'm saying is that this is not a racial issue. You're making it a racial issue with one specific person or one group of people because I've heard you before. You said it here today. You articulated it today. And that's fine to advocate for them. But this bill does not put any more or less pressure on that person here that's here illegally, that's not a criminal, to be afraid that they could get caught sometime and get, get caught up in it. I, I don't want to see that happen either because there's a lot of really good, good people that, that are here for the right reasons, but they're not here legally. That's a different issue. This issue is about taking the one that's probably been deported once, twice, five times, and that continues to create criminal activity. That's false. What he just said Go was ahead. false, Senator. Well, that's what the bill does. No, it and doesn't target that, that undocumented immigrant. It targets all immigrants, and it diminishes the public safety of all Wisconsinites, including I, well, yourself, we'll just Senator Wangar. Well, we agree to disagree then, because that's, that's not And if I may, going. I'm aghast that you're surprised that the people of color in your community also want to be safe in their community. And they want the dirt balls they, out of the neighborhoods, too. And I am Latina, and I also want to, have, to be safe. So it surprises me that you're so surprised. Yes, all surprised. of your constituents of color, Chi what did you mention? Chinese and black and Asian. Latino, Asian, hmm? everybody, want, they want to be safe just like you. Absolutely, they overwhelmingly so. They do. And uh, immigrant communities overwhelmingly are, are very safe folks, statistically speaking. So it just, it, it alarms me to hear some of the things that you say. And if I can just comment, you started your comments with why don't I work on, it sounds like comprehensive immigration reform with a pathway to citizenship. I absolutely advocate for comprehensive immigration reform with a pathway to citizenship. And I would welcome your working with you on something like that. I'm a, a very, for a long time I've advocated for that and continue to do so. And if that's what you're speaking to, of course, that's the ultimate goal, but in the interim, I will show up to oppose anti-immigrant efforts like SB 151 that diminishes the public safety of all Wisconsinites, immigrant or fifth-generation U.S. citizen. Well, well, we can't have that. If it continues, I'll have to clear the room and call people from a separate room. So um, we can agree to disagree because the bill says what it says. And I'm third on the bill, and I'm a co-author of the bill, so there you go. Senator, over to you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm glad that Representative Zamaripa brought up the uh, penalties. And I would like Ledge Council to please explain how that works, because as I read it, they will be fined up to $500 per day if they're not in compliance. But yet I heard that that is not the case. So could we get some clarification on that, please? And there's, you know, it's according to population from what I read. Based on the population of a community, if you're not in compliance, you get a fine, $500 up to 10,000 people, $1,000 up to 100,000 people, et cetera. So if Ledge Council could please verify that this is actually a reduction of your shared revenue, that's how it's stated in the bill, if you're not in compliance with the bill, if we could get yeah, some I'll clarity have on that. I, I have no problem with that. It's if, if, they, if there isn't compliance under the bill, then that, that will kick in, yeah. Okay, but someone said no, that there is not a penalty. There I is a penalty if there's not compliance. 
Okay. And but that would be the minimum penalty, not. by the way. It's based on population. Right. right. Yes. Sorry. I can't tell if my light's not working. Is that even going through? I think it is. Um, so the bill has two separate enforcement pieces of it. And um, the first one is that a local government cannot prohibit enforcement of federal or state law relating to just illegal aliens or ascertaining immigration status. And then the second part about um, prohibiting a local government, I'm sorry, the local government must comply with a lawful detainer. And both of those aspects uh, can be enforced through those provisions, one of which is the uh, shared revenue reduction, which depends on the number, uh, the population number of the community and ranges from $500 per day to $5,000 per day. There you have it. Um, other questions? Senator? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Representative, thank you for your testimony. Um, a couple of quick questions. I don't want to reiterate the things that have been discussed, but just kind of a high level. So do you think it's okay to break the law? I'm not going to answer that question. What are you even speaking to, Senator Kappinger? A very simple question. Do you think it's okay to break the law? Of course I don't. Okay. So the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they can issue a lawful detainer that is, that is the law. So if a local political subdivision issues an ordinance, they're saying we want you to not comply with the law. What they're doing is they're saying, ignore the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Do you think it's okay to ignore a lawful detainer issued by the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement? You know, I had hoped that, I had hoped that you wouldn't even ask me a question, Senator Kapinga, especially considering your own district, uh, because you representative, represent... A Can thriving you com immigrant community. Question? Are you going to answer it or are you going to dodge it? I'm not going to. Please don't accuse me of dodging. Then answer. You are looking at this difficult issue of immigration it's a, in a very simplistic way. It's a, it's a very don't. And you yourself repre represent many immigrant I'm communities, and you, I'm going to make sure that I'm they know warn you, you, about you, your stance you, on an anti-immigrant bill like this today. And basically insulted the the chairperson earlier by saying. I forgot what it says. Accused the senator of having a simplistic point of view. And as, a, now, as do you right now in this okay, moment. Okay, then answer my very simplistic question. Do you think it is okay to ignore a lawful detainer that is issued by the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement? Yes or no? I think it is not okay that you are putting the public safety of every single Wisconsinite at risk so that you can pass this anti-immigrant effort so that is not, just going to be a talking point you when you go the on the campaign trail as you continue your, to divide Wisconsinites from Wisconsinites. Are you going to answer the question or not? Yes or no? I just gave you an answer. You didn't answer my question. I, think I, will, take that, I will take it that you are not going to answer my question. It's a yes or no question. Yes, is a lawful detainer issued by the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, is it okay to ignore that? Which is which has already been determined to be the law. You're saying 
What? I I'm trying to understand what you're saying. This bill is detrimental to the public safety of all Wiscansinites. Well, I'm I think sorry we have that you want to look let's just at it through a very simplistic and, and lens. Let's assume it is, so we can take that off the table. Let's go back to... Kappa, I gave you an answer. Issue. I'm done. Well, I, I think, Senator, she's not going to answer the question, so that's fine. We've heard your testimony, and we'll move on. Oh, I, had a, I, had, I had a comment. Senator, got a comment? Well, I'll repeat what I said before. The majority party has hurt public safety in this state by cutting shared revenue to cities. You don't believe me? Talk to the Racine mayor. Talk to the Kenosha mayor, talk to the Milwaukee mayor. You've cut money to the cities, forcing them to lay off cops, and now you want them to do more work. Stephen Monroy, Maldiff, uh, speaking against. Good afternoon, Mr. Chairman. Uh, would it be okay if my colleague joins me? Uh, I don't know where sure. in the order Sure, do we have a be. slip? Uh... Yeah, Daryl Modine, I should be next. Okay, okay. we're yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman and uh, members of the committee, my name is uh, Stephen Monroy, and I am an attorney with the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We are a nonprofit law firm that works to advance the rights of Latinos in the United States, uh, and I'm here testifying in opposition to Senate Bill 151. Um, I'm here to, today to ask you to vote against Senate Bill 151 because it raises serious constitutional questions. It puts local governments and the state of Wisconsin at risk of litigation, and more importantly, it prevents local governments from implementing policies that best fit the needs of their communities. The enactment of Senate Bill 151 would violate the principles of federalism and lead to arrests that violate the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendments of the United States Constitution. Um, because I'm uh, an attorney, I'm used to kind of going over the text of the bill, um, so I'll turn your attention to something that um, Council has already read, which are the two operative sections of the bill. Um, just kind of, and I'm speaking just kind of purely to the mechanics of it and the concerns that we have for it. Um, so to begin with, with subsection two, the enforcement of federal and state law, it says a political subdivision may not, may not enact an ordinance, adopt a resolution, or establish a policy that prohibits the enforcement of a federal or state law relating to the following, illegal aliens, or ascertaining whether an individual had a, has satisfactory immigration status. Uh, I know that this has been raised in the legislative intent today that this applies to criminal law, but I do not see anything in the text of it that says this only applies to policies affecting criminal policies, criminal procedures. My interpretation of this is that this would affect everything that dealing with a local jurisdiction. The bill would force local governments to examine every policy and ordinance to determine if it overlaps in any way with laws affecting federal immigration. Federal authorities are given the training and discretion to enforce immigration law, and it's a complex and rapidly changing subject. Local officials do not have such training or, or discretion, yet this bill would also push local authorities to interpret and give precedence to how this might affect federal immigration policy in every aspect of their government, amount amounting to a massive unfunded state mandate upon the local governments of Wisconsin. It also just creates a massive hole in the chain of command in police departments. With a, the, without the discretion of saying how local office, officers should enforce the law and how should they should carry out their duties, every police officer could argue that their actions are unre, unreviewable or unenforceable because it relates in any way to federal immigration policy. Not even ICE has this amount of discretion. They have supervisors, they're controlled by Congress, they're controlled by a massive 
uh, administration that allows them to say, this is how we should and we should not, um, we should not um, engage in our duties. This would not be available to local law enforcement. Every officer would have to say in their own discretion, this is what I'm doing and this is not, re not reviewable. As you can imagine, Senate Bill 151 would likely lead to a rise in racial profiling and incentivize governments to cut services to Latino communities. Uh, even if it's unintentional, if, if officers on their own are allowed to take the matter into their own hands, right now we have a system where the elected officials in the jurisdiction, the counties, the cities, are allowed to um, create rules, create procedures to say, this is how we would like you to enforce the law. Um, this would not be available to something that an officer would say um, deals with, with immigration. It completely gives them total, um, total discretion. Even if local governments tried to comply with SB 151, they might face costly lawsuits initiated by county attorneys, sheriffs, or residents who simply disagree with how the local policy is rolled out. Uh, turning your attention to the second part of it, dealing with that a political subdivision shall comply with any lawful detainer to, uh, issued by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, there simply is no federal law that requires compliance with these, uh, with these waivers. It is true that these have been found to be constitutional, and that means that the federal government is free to make requests, and local jurisdictions are free to accept those requests, but they face the consequences of it if those, if, those, um, if those requests are not met with the standard uh, required to detain somebody, which is probable cause. So as we've seen in other jurisdictions, when cities have um, communicated that they believe they have somebody in their custody and ICE has responded to a waiver, there is an absence of responsibility um, and accountability in all fronts because the city made this request, the, um, the ICE administration, um, kind of forwarded and sent that request back to the city, and now a person has been held without anybody actually being responsible for that finding that the person should be held on probable cause. The federal courts have made clear that ICE detainers are merely requests, and they're not mandatory. And this is because the 10th Amendment prohibits the federal government from commandeering state officials to enforce federal law. We've also heard about the Supremacy Clause today, and that is an integral part of the, of the Constitution but the supremacy clause is balanced with federalism and the rights and duties to the federal government under their enumerated powers have to respect the rights of the states. So it takes years of litigation and it's extremely complex and I do not understand even half of what happens and the reasoning that the Supreme Court has, but it is something that is extremely complex. There's a lot of thought put into it and it's just something that a local jurisdiction would now under SB 151 be asked to think about every single time they're making a change or rolling out a policy. SB 151 makes it likely that local police will be compelled to make, make arrests or extend detention longer than legally authorized. And I'm not saying legally authorized just under the state or federal governments, but also under the Constitution. So this will create a, a perverse incentive to maintain people in custody, and it will lead to litigation against the local governments. The local governments will have to cover the costs of such detentions because federal policy is not to reimburse local governments uh, unless there is some other kind of prior agreement. And additionally, the local government could be held liable for unlawful detention despite a detainer request in order to pay hundreds of thousands in damages and legal fees. And this is on top of the legal fees and the possible damages that, that we heard about today under um, acts to, uh, writs of mandamus to compel enforcement with this act. So local governments will be hit from both sides 
in not knowing what to do. The consequences will not be felt by the state of Wisconsin. The consequences will not be felt by myself um, or the, the panel or, or the committee sitting here. The consequences will be felt by the local governments and they will be asked to interpret a very vague law uh, and to act accordingly. And this could be something that is worked out by the courts over many years, but this will involve perhaps millions of dollars in litigation costs to the local governments. Maldiff urges you to vote no on SB 151 so that local governments can focus on their priorities and the needs of their communities without the threat of persistent litigation, civil rights violations, or encroaching on powers left to the federal government by the Constitution. And I turn it over to my colleague, um, Daryl. Right, unless you want to ask any questions first. Okay. okay. Sure thing. So. Uh, Chairman Nass, Vice Chair Wangard, and distinguished members of this committee, I wish to thank you for holding today's hearing on Senate Bill 151 and for providing an opportunity for me to come and testify before you today on the proposed legislation. My name is Daryl Morin, and I speak to you today in my capacity as National President of Ford Latino. Based in Franklin, Wisconsin, Ford Latino is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization committed to assisting Hispanic Americans in their pursuit of the American dream. And uh, with the support of our active membership in over 20 states, uh, we provide education, advocacy, and service delivery to fulfill that mission. Implicit in the mission is the defense of each and every right assured everyone in the United States Constitution and the equal application of those rights. Ford Latino, since its inception, has called for the federal government which has explicit authority over immigration-related <laughs> issues to pass immigration reform legislation that provides for our nation's security and economy and that maintains our nation's commitment to being champions of the human spirit of human dignity. These goals are attainable and are not mutually exclusive. And while Ford Latino believes that every sovereign nation has a responsibility to protect its borders, so do we believe in the United States Constitution and the separation of powers and the exclusivity of the jurisdictions defined therein. After careful review of Wisconsin Bill 151, we found striking similarities with Texas Senate Bill SB4. Both Texas SB4 and Wisconsin SB 151 seek to prohibit ordinances, resolutions, or policies that prohibit the enforcement of federal or state law relating to undocumented immigrants, as well as inquiring into the individual's immigration status. They both require compliance with detainer requests from ICE, and they both seek to impose financial penalties on government entities that do not comply. In addition, they both seek to force liability on those governing bodies for damages found to have been caused by undocumented immigrants. SB 151 clearly represents an overreach of state authority and infringes on the federal government's exclusive jurisdiction on immigration-related matters. This exclusivity jurisdiction has been reaffirmed numerous times in the United States Supreme Court. In addition, as first asserted in Galarza versus Selleck, and then reaffirmed in Moreno versus Napolitano, detainers issued by ICE are only requests made by ICE. Compliance by the LEA or law enforcement agencies are strictly voluntary. To further clarify, detainer requests are not judicial warrants, which ICE has access to and could implement when they see the need to do so. In Price itself, detainers, they'll tell you this, represent only a voluntary request and do not carry the weight of a court order. And while the courts have found that SB4 as well, uh, as well as guidance issued in the Department of Justice through President Trump's executive order issued two years ago, 
funding cannot be held, and this has been held, there's a nationwide injunction, funding cannot be held based on this issue. However, what the courts have and continue to find is that political subdivisions that have wrongly imprisoned an individual can be liable for damages. I'm sure we're all aware of the numerous high-profile cases in which United States citizens have either wrongly been uh, detained and even worse, deported. Not only does this create tremendous liability and financial exposure uh, for the political subdivisions, but even more importantly, illegally stripping U.S. citizens of their liberty and their freedom. Just last month in Michigan, the Grand Rapids City Commission approved an award of $190,000 to Mr. Hilmar Ramos Gomez as the city had honored uh, ICE detainer requests, holding him for three days. Mr. Ramos Gomez was and is a United States citizen and served our nation honorably, having received numerous medals and commendations for exceptional service during his active duty service with the United States Marine Corps. Given the practical limitations of time, I would only add that uh, SB 151 has numerous constitutional issues, some illustrated here by our partner uh, at MELDEF today, and our analysis shows that it simply is not in the public interest. As a state, Wisconsin, we pride ourselves on fair play in helping our neighbors. We believe in the benefits of working hard to provide for our families, and in times of need, lending a helping hand. SB 151 would not only damage police community relations, but would have a disproportionate and discriminatory impact on individuals with prominent Hispanic features and surnames. As well, all seek, um, as well, we all seek what is best for our state. Do we not want each and every person to feel comfortable to report a crime that they're witnessing or that they have witnessed? Do we not want each and every person to feel comfortable calling the police or fire department when witnessing a medical emergency or a fire? Do we not want a woman or child to feel comfortable calling for aid if they are falling victim to domestic abuse? While there are some who say SB 151 is designed to help keep us safe, it will in fact have, I fear, the opposite effect. I would encourage you as lawmakers and as legislators to promote and spend these resources promoting legislation that would have a dramatic impact on the improvement of public safety. And that already has the overwhelming support of Wisconsin voters, such as legislation that would close the background check <laughs> loopholes or provide an ERPO option for law enforcement as well as family members. Both are proven overwhelmingly to have the support of Wisconsinites. Once again, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your time and serious consideration of my remarks here today, uh, respect, and I respectfully encourage you uh, to end consideration of SB 151. Passage would lead to an immediate and costly litigation that would ultimately be proven unsuccessful and damage police community relations. May the Lord bless all of you, may the Lord bless our great state of Wisconsin, and may he also bless the great country that is the United States of America. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Thank you for your, your testimony. I, I appreciate having you guys here. So are you advocating just for Latinos? Is that what you're telling me? That's who you, that's who you're, what your base is and who you're, yeah. you're advocating for, um, just well, Latinos? Because well, that's all you, that's all you reference. So. so, yeah, predominantly we do help uh, Latinos, but anyone, anyone who has an issue uh, where constitutional rights are being infringed or we can help, uh, you know, promote education, et cetera. We do, we've provided um, wireless technology to schools in need, et cetera. So it's not just based on... Uh, but it's primarily, you know, it's, it's the Latino community you're dealing traditionally, with. Traditionally, right? traditionally, okay. yes. I mean, because they're not, that's not the, the focus of this. It's not just... 
that it's a Latino offender, it's that it's somebody who's a criminal period. You know, I, and that's something that we, we need to get, get past because I, for me, having been in law enforcement before, didn't make any difference how the person looked or if they were male or female. You know, if they were holding somebody up, they got arrested and went to jail and went through the process. Yeah. So my concern is that by not following a process here, it makes it worse for all those individuals that are fearful that the hammer's gonna drop on them when they're not the criminal. Mm -hmm. And this is what is really the elephant in the room, is that we have that issue where we've enabled this to happen over decades. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is we're trying to make that issue the issue for this, for dealing with the criminal people. You know, and I don't buy this thing where, you know, everybody's gonna be afraid to make a call to the police. They can do it anonymously. We have tip lines. So I, they're not going to know who we are, so they can still do that, and they, they do. Um, when I did investigations and found people that were not citizens, I didn't call ICE. They were here trying to do it. They were working on getting their stuff done. They weren't a criminal. But when I had a criminal, they went to jail, and they went through the process. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is focusing on. What can you, or can you give us any, any, uh, any thoughts as to uh, how we can strengthen this bill so that it specifically focuses on the criminal element. Because this is, this is the thing that I think drives most of this. And you gave one instance where a fellow was wrongly accused. I can give you a, a few of those where they were white, too, or they were black. I mean, it happens. And right. it's really bad that that happens when it happens. But I can give you thousands of incidents where we had people that shouldn't have been here that killed people or, or caused issues that is gonna be with them for their entire life. I've got stacks from here that have been presented as evidence already. So I think, you know, I'm not fearful of litigation, bring it on, you know, because I think the purpose of this is to deal with the criminal element and to work at weeding those people out of the community while they figure out on the national stage what they need to do to, to go through the rest of the process. And I hope you guys are really working to make that happen for those people that and maybe get that pathway. I'm not trying to impede that. My concern is about the illegal. So do you see anything with this, a way that this piece of legislation could be improved, that it would focus on that element? I mean, because I think that's what at least half of this group up here wants to do. You know, we, we want to focus on the criminals, getting them out. I mean, the, uh, the MS-13 uh, group, you know, that are bad actors that we hear happening all over the country, including in Wisconsin. I mean, you wouldn't think this stuff is happening here, but it is. So, yeah. thoughts, uh, guys? Uh, I'll just share. Yeah. Sure. Can, I can uh, jump on a, a couple of those points, Senator. <clears throat> um, so if, to begin with, uh, we are just one civil, or MALDEF as a legal civil rights organization, just one group of many groups that's out there. So there's okay. Asian Americans Advancing Justice, the NAACP, the, the, um, the ADL that advocates for the Jewish community. Uh, so there is a lot of different organizations. We happen to be um, a Latino-focused organization, but however, we do work with our with our partners, and the, the Constitution is does not just affect any one person or any one. You're right, and Great. so it has to be um, has to be equally applied. Absolutely, and Senator, I do appreciate your comment about process because we think process is very key. Everyone should be treated equally and should be and should be um, screened. So if somebody is picked up for a uh, for a crime, let's say for domestic violence. If they're being held by um, by the by the county jail, and there is reason to um, to bond them out, they should be bonded out. If there's not reason, they should not be bonded out. Uh, another thing I, I should pick up that I 
I don't believe has been raised today is the uh, issue of communication with the federal government. Um, I believe that that's a red herring because uh, I think it's commonly accepted that federal law uh, does put out there that um, municipalities sh should not prohibit communication with the federal government. So that's not even on the table. That's not something that happens all across the country. It's widely accepted. Great, you can, you know, you can make a call. The issue of if ICE does not respond and does not pick something up, I, I generally do not understand why that's not on the federal government to be doing their jobs to be responding for the things that they are, uh, that they are, um, that they're charged with. Um, so, in, in to response to your question specifically, Senator, about what could be improved, um, I do not know beyond knowing the specific facts of what happens. Uh, I feel like it is the job of the legislature um, and of local governments and government in general to be responding to specific facts. So if there is a failure in communication, where there is an additional process that should be strengthened, absolutely. Um, but respectfully, what this bill does is that it says, local governments, you may not have a process if this touches upon um, local uh, things that could affect federal immigration law. It, it destroys process. And I think that uh, it is very hard to suggest ways to strengthen um, or improve a bill um, that I believe is, is off on the wrong foot. I think we should be strengthening process, not, not getting rid of process. Okay. I think that's a great, great point you brought up. Go ahead. Um, I'll just come to, I, I think at the root of what's happening here is obviously the need to reform our nation's immigration laws. I think we may have discussed this before, right? No argument. Um, you know, you can come and stay, overstay your visa, uh, and that's not a crime, all right? I, and let me, I'll take a moment there too. Somebody had referenced 9-11, if somebody would have looked at their background, they were all here, sadly, uh, unlawful visas, visas, et cetera. So just to, to clarify that point. So there is a need to have immigration reform and to stop seeing this uh, proverbial can kicked down the road once and for all. You know, um, I, I come back to needs and hearing some of the stories today are tragic. There's no way around it, right? These things you wish never would have happened. But, you know, um, in each instance, the criminal justice system was employed and somehow failed to, to do what needed to be done. Um, ICE uh, and Immigration Enforcement, they have the ability to go and get court orders to do these things. Detainers are just a way of saying, hey, hold on to this person for me, um, et cetera. But when you have these instances here, ICE has other mechanisms by which to execute and has chosen for whatever reason not to. So I think there's, there's need to, to focus on there. Um, but um, there, there is an issue. Um, we do have constitutional concerns with state overreach into this area, as I mentioned in my, my testimony, but um, we're in full agreement that we do need to address the, the principal issue, not the symptoms, uh, here as our, at our first immediate um, uh, ability to do so. I would also add, I heard somebody mention this before, um, the U.S. Department of Justice did look at the um, uh, Milwaukee County and did find that they were in full compliance and were in violation of, of being a sanctuary county, just to, to share that as well. But um, any other questions? Do you have written testimony? Yes, I do. I have a copy here for you. Forgive me. Can you, if you can get it to the pages, they'll make sure we get okay. a copy. And yeah. uh, can we use you as a reference? Please do. Okay. And if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to follow up with the committee. I can send it to the chair, to the secretary. Additional information from um, nonpartisan uh, studies with regards to violence in immigrant communities 
and financial contributions uh, to the United States economy that um, have been vetted by both sides, et cetera, and um, have been found to be extremely credible. That would be interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thanks, guys, for coming up. I love your ending, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a flag to wave, so. <laughs> That's all right. It's here somewhere. <laughs> um, so y you said that you, ha you think there are constitutional concerns with mm -hmm. states engaging in this because where do you see this as a constitutionally defined federal enumerated power? Um, well, and you could probably talk to us a little better than I do, but um, it has been upheld by the courts uh, on multiple occasions that uh, the federal government has exclusive jurisdiction on issues related to immigration. Mm -hmm. so. so then how do you, th how do you, I mean, and maybe you guys don't, mm -hmm. and I apologize, I missed the, the first part, okay. which I'm sure was the better part of it, but yeah. <laughs> regardless. How do, you, how do you think it's okay then for locals to pass items and ordinances? Wouldn't it be under the same purview of, well, that's a federal power, why are you getting in, why are you stepping in here? Wouldn't that be also be unconstitutional? So it would be unconstitutional for the, the, a local municipality or political subdivision to pass a law that was in violation of the Constitution to begin with. So I guess that's, that's how I'd answer that, and I don't know if yeah, Stephen, you'd like to. Um, so it's, it's very hard to generalize, Senator. That's the problem where we see um, with uh, bills across the country. Even bills such as this, there's different approaches, um, but they're generally trying to tackle policies that are as varied as different cities. So I, I think we can all agree that local governments make policy choices based upon their resources. Mm -hmm. So are we going to be investigating, um, you know, these certain types of, of, of issues? You know, uh, are we supposed to, are we going to be um, having a, a police officer on this street um, getting um, traffic stops here? Are we going to be targeting our resources here or there? So those different policy choices are most obvious in where we distribute you know, that, that manpower, but also in the type of information that people collect. Um, so if the police officers are getting everybody's uh, you know, name, date of birth, all of that, you know, they, could be, they could be gathering people's um, mother's maiden name as an extreme kind of example. So there's a lot, lot of range of different kinds of issues to, the, to, to go through there. Um, different kinds of, of local jurisdictions that uh, are requesting their officers saying, you know, we are going to be treating um, suspects as suspects, so we're gonna be gathering information that helps us prosecute these state offenses, and we're gonna be treating victims um, carefully to enable to us to get as much information to prosecute these crimes. Um, both of those may affect into not asking about a person's citizenship question. If somebody has just been a, a victim of domestic violence, let's say, um, it is very counterproductive to be asking the victim, hey, you know, what is your, um, what is your immigration status or what is your husband or your wife's? Oftentimes that could harm the prosecution of this offense. Uh, I cannot speak very fully to this because this is something that is, that is hammered out by the local residents, by the, by the police uh, and by the, the elected officials there, but there's legitimate reasons why to limit some of these different, different questionings. The issue is that in all of these, again, they're, they're applied across the board. It's not just if somebody's Latino, do we not ask about this? It could be if somebody is Caucasian, Asian American, you know, just for everybody. This is just not one of the questions that we, that we collect. And in those, I think it's completely permissible because the, state, the city is not saying this person has quote unquote lawful status, which can only be conferred by the, 
by the federal government. This is just saying this is one data point less that we're going to be um, collecting. It's completely constitutional in either, in either aspect. Um, although if cities do affirmatively say we're gonna collect citizenship information for everything, for one reason or another, it turns out that people that have darker skin tones tend to be asked the question much more often. Um, you know, then, then there's problematic, but it's not the question itself how it's, it's, how it's, that's problematic. The, the issue is how it is applied that could be. So the federal and the state government both have very defined roles on certain things and there's a lot of flexibility in others. Um, so having a, a blanket policy saying you can't touch anything that could conceivably touch upon immigration policy, it's one of those that gets things very, very muddled up and hard for officials on the ground to enforce a law like this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, um, I guess I want to make sure that we understand and there's been, you know, from a constitutional perspective in the courts, and you guys probably know this, I'm not, a, I'm not an, uh, an attorney, but, you know, we have to have statewide concern in order to have legal precedent to, to step into local matters um, and, and, um, and legislate in those areas. And I think this is a situation where if we do see somebody pass a local ordinance that we feel is against statewide concern and causes concern, and this is a case where, you know, the author and chair of this committee sees that in a very specific situation. It's awful hard when you have a gentleman walk out who just lost his son um, to, to look him in the eye and say, no, this is not important. Yeah. So I think you see why we look at it and we, we differ, I think, on opinion, but we're trying to fix an issue. Um, that, and we've got something right in front of us that we feel, hey, this is, this is a way we can at least start making progress into we agree upon is a much broader discussion that we as state legislators probably you're right we don't have legal ability to step in and really influence or draft federal legislation if, if I could just add one make one quick remark there so SB 4 is is almost identical to SB 151 here Texas yes okay. uh, it's continuing to work its way through its course it wins it loses it wins it loses etc so um, as a taxpayer of Wisconsin I just assume see the, the constitutionality settled on somebody else's dime than ours uh, but the one thing that has been affirmed and reaffirmed uh, so it's no longer in question, is um, a city's or a, a state's ability to impose a financial penalty. That's something that uh, across all the courts, all the cases, has just been said is, is not constitutional. Um, and I know that's included in there, so. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court does yeah. with the Trump administration's yeah. filing. You know, the and once again. ruled in their favor yeah. now. I think that precedent, and again, we don't know because we're playing in legal territory. We're not sure what's going to happen, but that the, the ruling on that Supreme Court case yeah. may impact what the states can do as well. And once again, I'd rather see the litigation happen on somebody else's dime than okay. ours here in Wisconsin. So, okay. Okay. thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I heard you mention local discretion, and I think that's important, and it hasn't been talked about enough in our hearing. Um, Local government has limited resources. You see it over and over again. You say, oh, the law is this and they should enforce the law. District attorneys have discretion. They can decide whether to prosecute or not to prosecute. I've seen it in Kenosha. I brought violations of election law in there and they said, sorry, we choose not to prosecute that. We're overworked and understaffed. Why is that? Cuts from the majority party for local government. 
uh, it's the same thing about, uh, you know, I mentioned before. They cut shared revenue for local government, and yet they want them to do more and more. And, uh, I mean, they're laying off cops, and they want them to do more. Uh, of course there's discretion. There's only so much you can do on the local level, and then you want them to work with ICE and do extra things when they're having trouble doing basic law and order in their community. So, yeah, you know, you always have to follow the money trail around here. And they've turned off the money faucet for cities, and, and yet they are uh, posturing for law and order after they cut resources for local government. Any Thank other questions? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> It says good morning, but I mean good afternoon now. <laughs> good morning, my name is Abby Sweats and I am the Policy and Systems Analyst at End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin. Thank you for the opportunity to provide testimony on behalf of the American Civil Liberties Union of Wisconsin and End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin. The ACLU is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization working to protect civil liberties, including ensuring fair treatment for the immigrant community in our state and nation. And End Abuse is a nonpartisan, nonprofit coalition that serves as the voice for survivors of domestic violence and local domestic violence service providers in Wisconsin. We urge you to reject Senate Bill 151, which tramples local decisions regarding how police should interact with immigrant members of the local community, require sheriffs to participate in the flawed and dangerous immigration detainer process, and endangers survivors of domestic violence. The enforcement of immigration laws is a role assigned to the federal government under Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, and state and local governments have no obligation under federal law to participate in such enforcement. When local agencies are required to share certain information with federal immigration authorities, those agencies have no affirmative duty to collect that information. Similarly, immigration detainers or holds are voluntary requests from the federal government which need not be honored. An increasing number of localities in Wisconsin have opted, dating back to the Obama administration, to leave the immigration enforcement business to the federal government and focus their resources on local matters. These localities do not ask individuals about their immigration status and do not honor immigration detainers. Why have they made these decisions? To effectively protect public safety, local law enforcement needs cooperation from local immigrant communities. Local residents serve as witnesses, report crime, and otherwise assist law enforcement. The foundation for this cooperation is often destroyed when local police are viewed as an extension of the immigration system. Survivors of domestic violence refrain from reporting offenses. Individuals with key information about burglaries or escapees from county jails fail to contact the police or sheriff's department. It is an unfortunate truth that, as immigration enforcement has expanded, the willingness of immigrant communities to interact with law enforcement has declined. Survivors in a 2018 study regarding immigration policy and domestic violence reported, quote, the decision to call the police depended on their own document documentation status. The community at large is safer when even the most vulnerable community member feels safe enough to report crimes. Here I would like to pause in my written statement to add verbally um, to respond to a statement that was made contending law enforcement does not ask citizenship questions of witnesses and victims. 
However, we at End Abuse know that domestic violence survivors are often mistakenly charged with crimes themselves. The job of law enforcement is incredibly difficult and involves tough decisions made in the moment. And in domestic violence situations, the abuser is typically calm while the victim is often heightened in a traumatic state. Unfortunately, this can result in the survivor of violence being arrested. So if it is the case that law enforcement does not ask victims about citizenship status, these mistaken charges labeled the victim as a criminal, and being labeled as a criminal will without question open survivors up to citizenship questions due to incorrect charges against them. And this is one further way SB 151 would hurt survivors of domestic violence. Time spent engaging in federal immigration enforcement detracts from performance of the core duties of local law enforcement. Immigration enforcement does not advance local priorities because it commonly targets individuals who pose no threat to public safety. Traditional police work designed to solve serious crimes should not be displaced by efforts to identify and arrest people who may have simply overstayed a visa. Senate Bill 151 would override the decisions of local elected officials to focus on local communities' public safety concerns rather than on the priorities of federal agencies. The proposed bill would prohibit Wisconsin communities from adopting policies which say to our immigrant neighbors, if you come to, if you come to report a crime, if you come to testify at a trial, if you seek the protection of the police, we will not act as an arm of ICE and we will not interrogate you about your immigration status. The legislation also requires local jails to honor immigration detainers. An ICE detainer is not the same as a judicial warrant. Instead, it is a written voluntary request that local law enforcement detain an individual for an additional 48 hours after they would otherwise be released. Unfortunately, the ICE process for issuing detainers is full of mistakes which often result in persons being wrongfully deprived of their liberty. For example, during a recent two-year period, the ACLU determined that ICE sent detainers to one Florida county for 420 persons who were actually U.S. citizens and not immigrants. Another study by the Cato Institute estimated that 3,500 U.S. citizens were subject to detainers just in Texas from 2006 to 2017. In September, a federal court found that the databases which ICE uses to send out the most common forms of detainers were, quote, inaccurate, incomplete, and error-filled. Local jurisdictions that participate in immigrant, immigration enforcement often end up in court over constitutional violations for honorary detainers. Local police acting upon ICE detainer requests face liability for unlawful detentions in violation of the Fourth Amendment and the Due Process Clause. For example, a county in Oregon was found liable for violating the Fourth Amendment for detaining an individual pursuant to an ICE detainer request. As a result of the lawsuit, the county was ordered to pay more than $100,000. Thus, many sheriffs have decided to require that ICE deliver a judicial warrant based on probable cause before holding a person in jail after any state law justification ends. This legislation overrules the decisions of these elected sheriffs and requires them to honor detainers despite the demonstrated history of problems with the detainer system. Local governments throughout the state of Wisconsin have decided they do not want to face the liability risk of honoring detainers, yet this legislation would force them to do so and potentially subject themselves to legal liability. In conclusion, Senate Bill 151 is a misguided attempt to require local governments to be part of the federal government deportation and to override local communities' priorities to seek, the, seek, and, excuse me, to, seek to serve and protect their immigrant neighbors. Thank you, and I'm open to questions, but I'll add that I'm from a 
from End Domestic Abuse Wisconsin, so I have far more expertise when it comes to domestic violence than the more legal concerns that the ACLU has provided to you in this testimony. And if you have any further questions on that, I can provide you with contact information. Very good. Questions from uh, committee members? Thank you for your testimony. Thank you. Uh, Barbara Osella, Wisconsin <coughs> Catholic Conference, speaking against. and members of the committee, thank you so much for the opportunity to testify today. My name is Barbara Sella, and I'm the Associate Director for Respect Life and Social Concerns at the Wisconsin Catholic Conference. Um, we are the public policy voice for the bishops of Wisconsin, and it's on their behalf that I'm here today to express opposition to Senate Bill 151. Um, I just want to say a little bit about the Catholic position, and then I won't read the entirety of my testimony because many of the points were raised before, but I do want to answer uh, a couple of questions that came up in the course of the morning and afternoon. Um, the Catholic Church teaches that every migrant is a human person who as such possesses fundamental inalienable rights that must be respected by everyone and in every circumstance. This was Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And Pope Francis explains that it is important to view migrants not only on the basis of their status as regular or irregular, but above all as people whose dignity it is to be protected and who are capable of contributing to progress and the general welfare. Now along this, uh, alongside this respect for the fundamental human rights of immigrants, the church also recognizes the legitimate right of governments to maintain public safety and control their borders. As the church consistently teaches, these rights need not be opposed to one another, but rather they can and must complement one another. The church recognizes that illegal immigration can be a problem not just for the host country, but also for the undocumented immigrants who live in constant fear. It is for this reason that the church has for decades urged our national leaders to fix our broken immigration system by means of comprehensive reform. It is also the lens through which we measure this bill's uh, impact. Now, sitting here today and listening to the tragic stories of the gentleman who lost his uh, identity, to the gentleman who lost his son, uh, one cannot be moved, but help but be moved by the ways in which our government has failed uh, our US citizens. Um, so I'm very sympathetic uh, to, to their plight, but I also urge you to be sympathetic to the plight of the immigrants in our community who are here without documentation, uh, who um, are pleading with you not to pass this bill. They say this will have a harmful impact on their community, and they please need to be listened to uh, as well. Um, I want to, before addressing some things that came up earlier, I want to bring up something that hasn't been discussed, and that is the proposed Amendment 1, uh, which gives any resident of Wisconsin the right to fill a writ of mandamus with the circuit court. We are very concerned that this has the potential to lead to frivolous writs and thereby waste the time and the money of local officials and local law enforcement. We don't understand why any residents should be able to do this. Um, 
Now, uh, Senator Wangard isn't here, um, but he did make a comment about, you know, supporting those who, you know, want to get in line. The problem with our system is there is no line. Part of the reason that we find ourselves in this very difficult situation where, you know, U.S. citizens are almost at each other's throats is that uh, our federal government has really let us down. And, um, and I suppose we as citizens, since we elect our, our uh, federal representatives, um, we have not had an honest conversation about the need for comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, and then we're left with bills like this, which try to do something and end up um, possibly doing a lot of damage. Um, Senator Kapinga, you talked about, do you believe in the rule of law, following the law? Um, absolutely, the church does. But we, there's also a higher moral law, and that tells us that wealthier individuals, wealthier nations have a responsibility towards those who are vulnerable, who are in need. And so what we're seeing now is a retrenchment of our values, uh, inherent American values. There's no other nation on earth that is a country of immigrants the way ours is. And we're turning our backs on people who um, are you know, fleeing very, very desperate situations. This is not to say that everybody should be let in. Obviously, there has to be some, um, some process, uh, controls, and so forth. But as a nation, we've kind of, we've turned our back, um, and um, that's not good, it's, it's, it's not healthy. So I think what some local uh, communities are trying to do is to say to the immigrants who've made it to our, um, through our borders, across our borders, um, if you're here and you're willing to play by the rules um, and contribute to the community, we want to welcome you. Um, and that, as Christians, does not seem like a, an unfair or an unjust um, or an untoward response. So thank you so much uh, for listening to me, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Questions? Senator? Thank you for your testimony. And, you know, I'm a student of American history. We've had some sad chapters in our history when it comes to immigration. From 1925 to 1965, we discriminated against certain countries. In those days, it was Southern European. It was Italians. It was people from North Africa and whatever. We like people from North, Northern Europe, whatever. So um, there has been discrimination in the past, unfortunately, in our immigration policy and we have to fix it, but I appreciate you coming here today talking about the dignity of the individual, and that can't be lost in politics. And so I appreciate your testimony. Thank you, and if I could just add one thing. Anytime different cultures come together, there's conflict. Uh, we've seen this repeatedly throughout history. So it's our hope as a church that we can help to knit communities together, different peoples together. Our Catholic schools are a wonderful place in which immigrant children become <clears throat> U.S. residents, citizens, and, you know, and so forth. Um, and uh, you know, our many hospitals, we serve everyone regardless you know, of status. But it's also our hope that both sides can refrain from demonizing each other. The truth is, it is hard to live together when people have different languages, different cultures, and so on and so forth. But it is possible. 
And I'm a student of the Middle Ages. Um, and uh, St. Augustine wrote a very important uh, book uh, in the fifth, fifth century. Um, and he was responding to those critics of uh, Christianity, Roman pagans, who were accusing the Christians of bringing on the Germanic invasions. They said, you Christians are weakening the empire. And it's for this reason that the Germanic peoples are able to flow across the border. And so uh, Augustine in the city of God answered them saying this, these people who are coming over should not be demonized. We have to understand that they may be bringing gifts that will help and strength to strengthen our community. And he was absolutely prophetic. I mean, the, the Roman Empire collapsed, uh, but out of it came Western Europe, this amalgamation of Roman and Germanic, um, which is, you know, represents an incredible uh, achievement, you know. Um, our own Christianity kind of came out of, out of this amalgamation, if you will. So we should not fear um, immigrants. Uh, obviously, if somebody commits a crime, they should be um, prosecuted to the full extent of the law, absolutely. Have our local law enforcement agencies sometimes made a mistake? Absolutely, and we have to you know, strengthen them, and, you know, hold them accountable, and so on and so forth. But legislation like this, though I don't think it's intended, Senator Nas, has the effect of sending a message to immigrant communities of all types. You are not welcome here. And this cannot be the message that we as Americans send. It simply cannot. Our strength is our incredible, rich cultural diversity. We are the envy of so many countries, you know. Okay. Um yeah, I've been very careful to say we're targeting the criminal element, and yes. it depends on what group is talking, and yeah. so the message gets mixed. Um, and I heard it previously, too. I think you mentioned the um, from someone else previously that it's the government. If someone comes here illegally and commits a crime, it's the government's fault. Did I hear that right? You heard me say that? Yeah, maybe I misunderstood that. No, no, no. What I was saying is that. Clearly, the lady who was here testifying that her husband's identity had been stolen, mm -hmm. it seems to me, without knowing the whole case, okay, but just on the basis of what she said, that she did not get uh, a lot of really good help from, you know, from the IRS, for example, you know, and from other uh, entities. Uh, no, clearly, the people who did that, the two men who stole the identity, um, should be prosecuted, absolutely, you know, sure. absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, unfortunately, whether legal or illegal, we have people who are going to do harm to people because that's just the way they've been raised. Yes. Uh, they just uh, deviate, and, mm -hmm. um, and government should bring everything to bear on them as they, as they can when they, when they do that. Yeah, I guess our feeling is there are existing laws in place that clearly maybe are not being followed or, you know, um, that can help to address some of these needs. So we don't really see the need for this bill. Um, and we are concerned about the unintended message that it sends. I, we, mm -hmm. we, we have to listen to the immigrants. They're, they're not just saying this willy-nilly, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, so. Yeah, with that we probably disagree, but so be it. Uh, questions? Senator Kaplinger. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, thank you for your testimony. I think I think in these type of conversations, it's always we have to be careful with, you know, you used a lot of references to the scriptural text saying, hey, you know, this is the role that should be performed through government. I think there's a differentiation in scripture that says, here's the role of the church and here's the role of government. Mm -hmm. And I think there's sometimes a confusion by those inside and outside the church of what the role of the church is. And in this type of situation, um, we're talking about a civil justice situation, which is direct responsibility of, of the government through scripture. But we're talking about people who have broken the law here. And I understand you're saying, hey, don't do this because this may help, this may make people fear actually re re reporting crimes. And I see it as something that says, hey, we, we care about the law and the law of protection and civil justice is important in this country. Therefore, we wanna make sure that if we have the ability to influence removal of people who are not here legally and have obviously harmed with people you know, who have testified today in, in sometimes extremely terrible ways, if we have a way where we can improve that civil justice, I, I think it's, it's our mandate to do that just stepping out of the government role into the biblical role of, you know, the role of government is to civil justice. And I think this bill does that. I disagree that it's gonna have a chilling effect on people reporting crimes. I think it's gonna help people to see, no matter who it is, hey, we care about the laws in this country and we wanna make sure we enforce those because that is important as a nation to have structure and law and, and and if we don't have teeth in our laws, you know, it's the whole, I don't want to expand this discussion too far into gun control, but, you know, if we don't have teeth in the laws that exist, then they're not going to be followed by as many people, unfortunately. So not necessarily a question, maybe just a comment on what may you had I, alluded to. Um, already uh, previous speakers have pointed out that detainers are requests that aren't... Um, that, that the recipient isn't obligated. And, and here you're putting in, according to federal law, and here you are instituting an obligation. So that seems to go sort of above and beyond what the federal government requires. And so you can see how immigrant communities looking at that, whether you intend it or not, and I don't think you do, but see that now as really a very kind of unwelcome uh, intrusion. And then as far as church and state, obviously we have, you know, separation of church and state in this country, but, you know, we are um, uh, not just um, citizens, uh, residents, whatever, immigrants who are obliged to follow civil law and criminal law, but a moral law as well, and that does come from a higher power. And so we are here as uh, the Catholic Church trying to make a moral argument to appeal to the better nature of you know anyone that that we address, knowing full well our church's own faults and failings, um, we are not saying you know God demands that you you know do X Y and Z. But we're just simply pointing out that again, no other country has been as welcoming of immigrants as ours has. Um, but we are going back on that in ways that are frankly unnecessary. Where if we had comprehensive immigration reform. That had that did create a line for people to get into. 
um, if we really had processes you know, in place, if residents in this state welcomed people who were different rather than you know, treating them with suspicion, that would go a long way to easing the tension that inevitably exists when different cultures come into contact with each other. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you so much. Thank you. Steph Stephanie uh, Sani, uh, speaking against. Christine Newman-Ortiz, uh, speaking against. I think it's uh, very um, sad that this bill would be introduced right before the holidays. The holidays are a time when families come together, where uh, uh, people of faith uh, go to their church, their synagogue, their temple uh, to, uh, to pray. Uh, to give thanks to others, and I find it striking that this bill would be introduced right before the holidays, at a time where we should, um, and I guess I would hope that um, over the holidays, for each of the uh, representatives here, and certainly the ones that are sponsoring this bill, um, really think hard and identify with um, immigrant families here in Wisconsin. Because immigrant families here in Wisconsin are, um, are very much a fabric of this state. Every time we uh, drink milk, every time we eat, um, they or their children have contributed to bringing that food to the table. If you all recall, this same bill was introduced actually in 2011 and then put to the side. It was introduced in 2016. And if you all recall, 40,000 people came here from all walks, Democrats, Republicans, independents. You had uh, dairy farmers, hotel and restaurant workers, small business owners, you had people from all walks of life come here, close their shops, um, give up a days of work, potentially lose their jobs to say not here, not in Wisconsin. And that was put aside. It was put aside again, introduced and put aside again in 2018. No one, no one is calling for this bill. The two organizations that represented here today as to why we should pass this in Wisconsin uh, Center for Immigration Studies and FAIR are designated hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center, a very respected organization that studies um, the far right. Uh, for their association with white nationalists and for the research that we heard today that 
comes to one conclusion, right? Um, this hate mongering and criminalization of immigrants. We are a very historic time um, right now under the current administration. And um, it is very critical that we think really hard. When you're on the holiday, I guess I want for you to think really, really hard about what we have witnessed recently under the Trump administration and what does that mean for Wisconsin. We have witnessed intentional policies of family separation at the border. Today, there are administrative rule regulations that would force families to stay longer in detention centers, so that means children, and take away regulations that protect their well-being. The Supreme Court will be deciding at the beginning of 2020 if Wisconsin Dreamers, young immigrants who came here, 8,000 of them here in Wisconsin, 800,000 nationally, should be stripped of a protected status they have that has allowed them to continue their education. So many are teachers, they're lawyers, um, they've been able to fulfill their educational dreams, they've been able to then work in that profession, they've been able to help their families come out of poverty, they've been able to give back to the community. Right now, they are threatened and more than likely will lose their status and be open to deportation. That means they are vulnerable to deportation. And that number has continued to grow. I won't repeat what has already been said, but we are an organization that works with families who are facing deportation or at risk of deportation. When I'm hearing um, these cases, I think about um, people like Pastor Betty, who is from Racine. She uh, was, she and her husband and a family member, um, the ICE went into their home um, they were then put in a detention center, um, and as the Lutheran Church organized to try to call for her release and for prosecutorial discretion to be implemented, so because she is a woman who is obviously a role model, a role model, you're talking about a pastor for her community. She came here seeking asylum because she was being persecuted by cartels who wanted to use the youth at the religious school where she taught, where she was the director. And for bureaucratic reasons where that paperwork on that asylum application uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't exact, she was uh, not able to adjust her status, but she was protected because of who she is. All of those protections are gone now. Um, there are two grandparents I know right now who have absolutely no criminal record whatsoever, but they're facing deportation. And before, because of the understanding of the problems that we have at the federal level, there were some protections that could be put in place. So I just say all of that to say, um, immigrants, as you said, native and immigrants from past and present have contributed to the state we have policies, we need policies that welcome them, that integrate them better into our society. Everyone needs to be held accountable so we have a safe society.
But these laws do nothing but encourage the kind of divisiveness, the kind of profiling that have happened whenever these policies are in place. They have been resoundly rejected. And we actually ask for your leadership in moving good legislation forward, such as restoring driver's licenses for immigrant, such as restoring in-state tuition. But the things that need to be done at the federal level need to be done at the federal level. And local communities are moving more towards putting, pressure, putting policies that say, we don't want to be an arm of immigration. And why are they doing that? Because right now, under the current administration, um, ICE has gone off the rails. There were issues before, both under Bush, under Obama, um, that there were uh, reforms, important reforms that were achieved. So I would ask you to really think about your district, because there are families affected in each of your districts, without a doubt. Um, this bill is not going anywhere, and um, we would ask you to, to uh, set it aside and to, um, and to really think hard about that this holiday. Um, one of the things you mentioned, those who um, apparently have not broken the law, but ICE has caught up with them. Uh, on the other side, we have those which were mentioned today who have lost loved ones, who have been raped, robbed. Uh, stolen identity, uh, they are in a sad place too. Um, and we cannot forget about them. Um, I got to believe that, uh, and I understand you have a disagreement with the bill, but that if they're the criminal element, the stories we've heard today, those individuals that have committed those crimes, do you have a problem with them being deported? I would say that I'm not going to reiterate everything that's already been said, um, but just to say that where you, local law enforcement in particular, um, does not play a federal immigration enforcement role, um, that those communities are safer communities. And uh, the reason for that, and the uh, chief of police here was here, and this has been reiterated over and over again. And the reason for that is that there's nothing that prevents local law enforcement from doing their job when right. it comes to pursuing or investigating any kind of harmful activity. So there's, that already exists, but to do that, the best form of that is community policing. And that means you're actually encouraging people to come forward to work with law enforcement. When you have uh, undocumented immigrants they are actually very vulnerable to being victimized precisely because of their immigration status. So for example, with Voces de la Frontera, um, we have worked on a regular basis, on a, on a very, very regular basis. We work with people who come to our office who have been robbed um, or there's been issues of you know, sexual assault or domestic abuse. There's been issues like that where we have even had one recently related to trafficking, which was mentioned here. Um, and in those cases, we need to be able to know that there are policies where people are safe, where they can, we encourage them to then report that with local law enforcement. Um, and so, and that has been fundamental for people feeling 
that they can do that. And where you have policies where now that local law enforcement is being um, questioning someone or their family about their immigration status, you bet people are not going to come forward and report that. And so you create a situation where that ripples out, where harm that is being done continues to happen. So um, that, that's been our experience, that that is, um, and it, it is the case that these are safer communities. There's nothing in the, there's nothing, the ICE has as much resources, has huge resources at their disposal. So issues around a judicial warrant, getting a judicial warrant that is signed by a judge to corroborate um, that there's a need to involve local law enforcement. Do they have the resources for that? You bet they have the resources for that. They've got um, a lot of money at their disposal. And so having a high standard that ensures that people's due process and constitutional rights are solid is critical. In this last raid that happened, ICE pretended to be, to, uh, to be local police to get people to open the door. We have family, a family member in Milwaukee that opened that door because they identified themselves as police and because they live in a neighborhood where that has been a common thing. It, it's not a, a safe neighborhood. And so it is a regular thing for them to have someone from law enforcement knock on their door to say, did you see something? Or for them to report something. And because of that, every time something like that happens, where ICE becomes police, or if they're pulled into an activity, that association um, then transfers to local law enforcement. And that fear of reporting to them or working with them becomes um, deep. And not just for them, but especially like for children. And then children are afraid of the police. Um, and that's, there's so many things that we can do to um, make our communities safer. Uh, this is not one of them. So back to my original question. So let's say there is an individual who has raped a teenager, incarcerated, they're coming out, ICE is able to pick them up. Your organization would be, I gotta presume, okay with deportation of that individual who has raped a 17-year-old. So in that situation, and again, just to, I think it's important to say that individual who has, you know, could be raped, could also be an undocumented immigrant who needs to report that to the police. No, so no. any, I'm just, so I'm using that as I'll an example. So ahead. I'm using that as an example, um, because that's real too, you know? So if you have a situation like that, what do we want that person to do? You bet we want that person to report that so that, that, per so that the person who perpetrated that can be identified, right, before they continue to do that to somebody else. And we want that individual to get the care that they need. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, however, when ICE, what does that mean in terms of ICE? The standard um, that we are asking in the case, for example, in the city of Milwaukee, um, or that's established here uh, and in many other places, is that um, for ICE to get involved, they need to present a judicial warrant. That means that um, they need to corroborate, if they're gonna pull in local law enforcement for anything, they need to corroborate that that person um, has created um, is some kind of threat. What's happening now is that ICE, there is no standard. You know what the standard is? 
It's civil infraction. That means to be undocumented. That's what it means. That's Pastor Betty. That's that grandmother. So uh, it's that when we talked about some of the people that were picked up here, um, again, you have to look at these broad phrases, but you have to look at, um, you, you have to really understand the situation for each and every person because sometimes there's just a label that's put there, a re-entry charge. A re-entry charge, that's just an immigration violation. And what's very, very common in the community is someone, you know, for example, um, one of our members, um, she and her husband, she was a waitress in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Her husband was a dishwasher in that restaurant. They fell in love, they got married, he was undocumented. They got some bad legal advice, they left the country on some bad legal advice to try to fix his situation. When they came back, he was stopped, deported. That very old re-entry charge um, is considered a felony. And uh, they built a life here in Wisconsin, they had a family, and suddenly ICE descends and he's deported. That family um, has been devastated. So many families are then pushed into severe poverty because often the breadwinner's taken away. Um, they are struggling to survive because Who's going to pay the, you know, what's going to happen to the rent? What's going to happen to the bills? They need to raise money. So that is the reality. The reality is that the federal immigration enforcement doesn't need local law enforcement or support. They got more than enough. Um, but there needs to be, especially now, more and more municipalities, local government is creating standards because this administration is going after anybody <coughs> simply because. Um, they're undocumented. And that is not the role of local government. It's not the role of state government. That's something that's the role of the federal government. Uh, it's long overdue. Um, and I think, and just recognizing that immigrants um, are valuable to our state and they deserve dignity and they re deserve respect. Um, and that's, that's all I'll say. I'll ask a third time and let me be very clear. Um, Let's say ICE has a warrant. They pick the person up. Maybe he raped a 17-year-old. Legal I guess I illegal. would ask you, should, do you know should the difference ICE, after are you everything okay, you've heard? Is your group okay with have, ICE then deporting that rapist? Have you heard what people have said? The question is to you then. Do you support you don't want a judicial warrant? Do you support a judicial warrant versus ICE... Um, writing their own little warrant for themselves and to someone they deem a threat. I understand you, your group do, do you apparently would not be okay with deporting them. That takes care of my question. I support the Constitution that supports everybody's right to equality under the law. It supports everybody's right to due process regardless of immigration status. That's what I support. Thank you. Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, you mentioned in your testimony about community policing. Uh, I share a representation of Racine with Senator Weingart. I've been with him when we've heard presentations by Art Howell on community policing. Racine is a safer place since they've instituted community policing. In other words, they have cops walking the beat. They have uh, um, small side offices for the police out in the communities, and they've raved about the improvement in safety in Racine by community policing. 
and, and I would submit that community policing doesn't work unless you have the cooperation of the people. And we have to preserve that. So I'm concerned, once again, that this legislation would go after uh, the spirit of cooperation that we fostered in Racine. So um, it's a two-way street. The cops can't solve crimes if they don't have people give them information. And, and so I'm all for community policing, and uh, that's important, and we see it in Racine, Wisconsin. Thank you. Thank you. So, so hang on. Mm -hmm. I'm now chairing because she had to leave for a minute. <laughs> Um, so seeing as Senator Wirtz brought up community policing, I actually was there when it started and we're seeing in 1993. I think we have seven or eight houses now that are in the community. And we have all types of people that live in the inner city and in those areas that were the really bad areas because you pick the worst area of the community, the worst, not the best, the worst of the community. And you go in and you find a house that's <coughs> dilapidated and then you start rehabilitating that, that home, or you tear it down and build a new one, and that becomes the center for that community. And the officers that work in that area are responsible for about a 10 block radius, and everybody in that area can call that officer and chat with them, and they don't ask your status, but if they find out that there's a criminal alien, they're gonna make an arrest. They're gonna take that person into custody. So this is the idea, is fostering that relationship within the community through community policing, which they do, those people that live in those areas, and I worked in those houses and had an office in those COP houses, so I know exactly what works and how it works, and I've talked with people that have come in that probably were not citizens because I had to work off a law enforcement cheat sheet for how to talk to them and understand what they were telling me and ask them questions uh, that was uh, put together by one of our Hispanic officers. He taught us all, so we'd have a little better, better way to communicate if we didn't have somebody there that could, you know, be an interpreter for us. And that relationship of being in the community and working with them worked very well. I see this being in place and not being a negative effort, but something positive that that community doesn't create a policy of not notifying the federal authorities when somebody that has a federal criminal background that is not a citizen, that is a criminal alien, not somebody that's an illegal alien that's here that came here illegally and hasn't caused any problems, those weren't the people we had the problems with. Those weren't the people that were being, I don't know, the, the word that was used anything before was targeted or focused or whatever, but those weren't the people that were being focused on. It was the people that were the criminals there, and the victims did come forward, and the victims were not put into a deportation, you know, category or something such as that. Matter of fact, ICE didn't even want to deal with those people that weren't causing problems. They wanted to get the bad guys. And that's what this legislation is, is driving towards. And we actually had some really good input from the two fellows that were here earlier. I, really, I jotted down some really good notes about some potential changes to this that'll make it a better bill. But the focus is to get the bad guys out of there. I, all I hear from the other side is that, well, we just, we can't have this, this isn't gonna work, and we're gonna, oh, it's putting all this pressure on everybody. Well, you know what, if you're here illegally, that is gonna be a pressure. So instead of, instead of just saying, yeah, it's all okay, and we're gonna continue to enable this to happen, we need to become part of the solution. They need to fix this at the federal level, but enabling it at the local level doesn't help either. So I would rather see us working with those people that, you know, maybe 
could get some help with getting their paper so they can get in line, they can be here legally. That's really important. And because there's a lot of really good people that do come here and that stay here or overstay their good, good people. So that's what we need to find. I'd rather see that and positive energy work on that. Get the dirt balls out of there so they're not creating problems for those that are here trying to do it right. So that's the game. So I disagree with part of what you, you said and that this is just a focus on everybody else because that's not what this is. I think that um, having policies at the local level that, um, like you said, cheat sheet, that for folks that might not understand the complexity of immigration, um, that um, are very clear in giving direction to local law enforcement to not inquire about immigration status or we do didn't. things. Um, but under this, under this bill, that would be considered a sanctuary policy because it is limiting um, any kind of collaboration with ICE. And right now, especially under the current environment, um, a, there is an approach at the federal level of a broad, broad sweep. And, um, the, and so it is more important to continue to have those kind of local policies and That's it good. does not take away um, the ability of local law enforcement to uh, investigate situations. It certainly encourages people to come forward and, um, and the federal immigration, um, in terms of their role, has access to um, public records, has access to their own investigations, has access to enforcement. So they have their own resources. And this is not saying that in the event of something of a serious nature, they can't have a judicial warrant presented. And that ensures that there's accountability and the very, very limited resources and that trust that makes communities safer because people feel that they can approach local law enforcement, um, that's protected. Because you just need a couple of incidents to have that spread, that fear spread. Um, but actually, un until you become a legal citizen, you're not gonna have that protection of being totally unfearful of having an issue happen because you're, you're not, you're breaking the law. You're not here legally. And I, I don't know, people just don't get that. But Senator Kapka wanted to address something you said that was totally wrong. Go ahead. Well, I just want to clarify, because this has been said several times, and uh, hey, the concern here is that there's going to be a chilling effect because if there's a victim, they don't want to come forward because they'll be deported. Mm -hmm. And that is, that actually, federal law right now prohibits that. What, that and, and several other people have said it. So Section 101A15U of the Immigration and Nationality Act that um, provides legal authority for a non-citizen who reports a qualifying crime to local authorities and assists or may be of assistance in the prosecution of the crime to become eligible to apply for authorization to remain in the U.S. advocacy or to remain in the United States. So they, they are exempt from deportation. It says advocacy, advocacy groups, NGOs, and politicians are doing a disservice to the victims they are claiming to protect by disseminating inaccurate information asserting that if victims report a crime to local authorities, they may be arrested by ICE. Federal law prohibits ICE and other DHS agencies from relying upon such information to initiate immigration proceedings. So I just want to make sure everybody's clear that 
that ICE and DHS legally cannot detain based on that. It's not true. So, um, so I want to make sure everybody, uh, especially so, the committee, so, understands that. So just so you know, because VOSA's works and, and domestic abuse, I'm not sure if they're here, but um, VOSA's works a lot on, obviously with, un, with immigrant um, families uh, in various situations, and this is one area that we also work on, uh, uh, the U visa. And, and domestic abuse is an organization that works with victims of domestic abuse, um, trafficking, um, very specifically for those people of a violent crime. Um, that's what that um, U visa is for. And so it's to encourage people to come forward to report some, uh, to report, be part of an investigation, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's part of the process. And then you would go through like a moral background check to then see if you could adjust your status in the future. Um, a problem that is faced uh, here in Wisconsin is that you have a, you know, patchwork of responses to the U visa. So it is a good thing. You just pointed it out, and it is a good thing. Um, however, um, for example, in the area of Sheboygan, the district attorney there won't sign them. So why, why aren't you working Won't sign on talking them. about something oh, as we, positive like this um, instead of putting inaccurate information out? I mean, this is what really, it really makes it difficult for everybody to have any, any credibility for the organization when you're not identifying that if there's a problem like this in Sheboygan or it's, or it's somewhere else in the state, you know, that there is a, this patchwork. I didn't even hear you talk about that. It's just you're talking about it from the negative side that nothing's going to work. And here there's a statutory reference that says, prohibits that specifically for, for victims. So those victims that are being I, told, hey, you better watch out, you know, that's not true. Yeah. I mean, the issue there is that it's, the, it's because yeah, it's, it's a federal issue. So the federal issue... Well, it's not, though. That's oh, a well, local issue. Well, here, here. I, can, I can clarify. It's a federal issue in that, um, that what exists there, <clears throat> um, it exists there for these categories, and then it's really up to the local to see how they implement it. And so there is, you can have in one area, someone simply refuse to um, provide it. And, and what is it? You're not even, because there's a misunderstanding around, I won't get into it, but, um, or you can have it very well implemented, very like administratively well implemented. And it's a good tool because it's, it's, a, it's a actually something, again, for local law enforcement, it's often identified in the courts as a resource. Sure. You have organizations that also are a resource and a support. So this right? is what I don't get, though. So Why don't you focus on that and focus on correcting so, that and educating them instead of giving all this negative stuff that's not true? Um, so I'm glad that this was enlightening. We, we do work at the local level, and I would say that now, again, given the circumstances where there are, where you have such a broad sweep in terms of um, this like ICE uh, going after anybody regardless yeah, of their ties or their background no. um, that these local protections there has been more movement towards these um, local protections <coughs> to be able to advance so it's something that can be done at various levels locally and it's important that people do get educated about it and do um, work to advance these because again it's about making a community safer when you have someone yeah, but apparently who, that isn't happening because what we heard all day here was that people were afraid
to come forward if this goes through. Oh, we're fearful because we're victims and we're afraid we're going to get deported, blah, 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 blah. And wait, maybe way in the past, matter of fact, under the Obama administration where they deported more people than what they have in the Trump administration, you know, and, and that's making it political. And I don't want to do that, but they deported more during, with that administration. They're here now. We're trying to clarify this so that doesn't happen. So getting the wrong information out there or misinformation, I don't think, I think it does us all a disservice. So, I don't saying, think there's any, anyways, I think that's beside the point. I, don't I was just think answering it is, your it question on the U visa. The U visa is yeah. a good thing. Um, it needs to be federally enforced. Uh, yeah, but fair. in the meantime, um, it is not. And it does, repent, does depend on local leadership to make sure that it is well implemented, administrated, and there has been a lot of good initiative that's done to strengthen that, and it's an important uh, it's an important policy that needs to be protected and in, and strengthened. Thank you. Well, Senator Wangard, I heard a side comment you made a while ago. Well, half the people up here want a law and order. Well, let me. I've been around here 25 years. There's a difference between rhetoric and action. So we've heard. The three Republicans lecture us on public safety, obeying the law, yet they voted against shared revenue for local uh, municipalities. Now, let me make this clear. I want more police, I want more firefighters to protect the safety of our communities. But they voted against it. And then they lecture us on public safety. So there's a difference around here between rhetoric and what you do when you vote. Thank you. Thank you for your testimony. Lauren Cross, speaking uh, for herself, speaking against. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Lauren Cross. I'm a student at UW-Milwaukee. Um, I first wanted to say that I echo uh, Representative Zamaripan saying that the passing of this bill is punishing entire communities. The concept of a sanctuary city goes back thousands of years. It has been associated with Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, um, Baha'i, Sikhism, and Hinduism. Historically, the term has existed to protect and advocate for those at risk, otherwise to um, life-threatening environments elsewhere. The suggestion that only people who are worried about this bill are illegal immigrants quote-unquote, um, who are worried about uh, how it may affect them is not only true, um, but is an attempt to isolate and diminish the existence of present immigrant supportive communities like mine, as well as endanger their constituents like me. The suggestion that this bill will only unshield criminals is not true. When the term you use for your bill has historically meant to be all-encompassing of entire communities using examples of supportive legislation coming out of 9-11 only reaffirms this conjecture. Um, sorry. Thank you. Um, this is a target on Milwaukee and other cities and districts in our state with high populations of people of color. And this would only exacerbate our ever-present issue of racial, profi uh, racial profiling, excuse me, that is already present in our city and promote racial insensitivity, 
We are all aware of that our present and rapidly increasing openly anti-immigrant scope across the nation brought about the rising white supremacy culture. ICE intervention has historically resulted in public safety hazards as well as unjust practices, thank you, uh, within their system. And the statistics you use that make it evident that more and more people are being wrongfully detained or incarcerated is again proof that our justice system is failing and increased incentive to feed that same system will only exacerbate that issue. For those of you who claim that this doesn't affect marginalized, specifically Latino communities, I invite you to go and speak to the wrongfully detained speak to immigrant communities. If you have, give stories with specifics beyond saying that you have just spoken to them. Understand the power and danger and implicit bias, then you'll see why similar efforts like this, regardless of their intention, will not solve the underlying issue. Then you'll see the flaws within this suggestion and potential dangers in the passage of this bill. Don't talk of misinformation and in the same breath reinforce it. Lastly, I invite you to re-examine if what you say is that this bill will protect good citizens of these communities, then why is it so overwhelmingly the case that they are here today to speak indefinitely about why this bill puts them at risk? Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your testimony. Uh, questions from the committee? I will take no further questions at this time. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Joanna Rogers, uh, Milwaukee, uh, speaking against. Uh, there are no other slips. That concludes the testimony, and we will stand adjourned.